All right, good evening. Good to be back with y'all tonight. Uh, before we get started on any things, anybody have any prayer requests or announcements, praise reports, anything at all before we go to the Lord in prayer and get started? Anybody else? Our people. Oh. Madison Stephen, she was half her baby's got a lot of complications. Shall y'all please remember her? Remember one, he's not doing good. Anything else? We just remember our church as we move forward. Yep. We ain't letting you leave. We, we know that somebody will pick a place that would do the right thing. Right. <clears throat> Absolutely. Anybody else? Remember Randy Buffett and his family. His mother's, I think she's supposed to get out of the hospital tomorrow. And his sisters had that virus, but they're both getting better. Anything else? Skip, if you would, least Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you again, God, for this beautiful day that you've given us, Lord. We thank you, God, for uh, everything that you've done for us, Lord. We pray, God, for all these prayer requests. God, has been mentioned here tonight, Lord, you know each and every need, uh, God, for each and every one. Lord, we pray, God, to be with our church. Uh, God, as it's already been said, as we move forward, Lord, we pray, God, that uh, we would just do, God, that that you'd have for us. And Lord, we pray, God, for Brother Chris, God, is on his journey, Lord, uh, wherever you may send him, whatever you may have for him, Lord, we just pray, God, that you'd just watch over him. Uh, God, his family, Lord, we just thank you, God, for the time that you've given him with us. Lord, we pray, God, for... Uh, each and every one that's here tonight, we just ask that you be with us, watch over us, care for us, Lord, all these things we ask in thy name. Amen. 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 <coughs> we do love all of you, and uh, uh, I know that some people don't. I always, uh, I always try and go back uh, after I talk to the church, and I know that some people don't like to. Uh, uh, I always do it get, kind of brings uh, closure to everything and everybody and uh, uh, you know I think that the best thing that uh, 
that we can do as a church today is really understand, and, and I've said this and you've heard me say this many times, uh, as a pastor, you always want to do good and you want to, uh, you want to be successful, you want to serve the Lord, and you want to, you want to do a lot of things good. But it <clears throat> um, seems like in today's time that there, there's a lot of competition <laughs> uh, among not only the churches, but the preachers and everything else. And um, what I saw young in my ministry was a lot of people that wanted, at the expense of the church, they wanted to make sure that they done better than whoever followed. I don't, okay? And I've tried my best to share this and preach this, and hopefully that y'all can understand what I've been saying is, um, I'll know when I've done my job if y'all are tenfold five years from now. Uh, and that's my hope and my prayer. And uh, we're supposed to upbuild and lift up God's kingdom. And that's what we want. And uh, I, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I hope. And I really do. I foresee uh, Timber Ridge, really. If, I believe if you really grab a hold of God's will, I really believe Timber Ridge um, will be, uh, I'm not saying that you're not a powerhouse, right? But I really think that you'll be uh, a powerhouse that, uh, that a lot of people used to talk about, we'll talk about again. Uh, but, <clears throat> and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the opportunity that we got to pass by. And um, uh, this is, um, like I said, like I told him a few tonight, the hardest part about coming is leaving. That's the worst part. Uh, <clears throat> but when we understand that we're all in this in God's kingdom and we do this together, uh, and we, you know, we're here for a specific time, purpose, and reason, and when that, uh, when that time, purpose, and reason is fulfilled and finished, um, we should, with joy, um, with joy and sadness too, uh, move on and, and welcome whoever the next man and family uh, that will come along. And I, I'm telling you, I, I, I hope and, and pray for nothing but good things because I, I believe that, uh, you know, we don't deserve anything. If we deserved anything, we deserve hell. And I think that's one thing that we need to make sure that we don't miss in the church because there's a lot of people say, well, uh, we're such and such. We're Timberidge, right? We deserve this. No, you don't. Uh, you deserve nothing. You deserve hell. Uh, but your blessings and your goodness of, of the King and uh, who you serve, uh, if we uplift Him, I believe that He will bless us. So it's not, not that we get what we deserve, but it's that we, uh, uh, you'll get out of it what we put into it. Amen. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, like I said, I don't know what the Lord has in store for us, what the plans are ahead. Um, uh, you know me well enough. I, I, I love preaching. I love teaching. I'm going to continue to do it wherever I can. And uh, I'm only halfway through the book of John, and I'm going to finish it in my basement, I guess. So, um, um, But uh, there's, uh, there's a lot of good things that, uh, that, that, that we can talk about tonight. We're going to get on with this. But... Uh, <clears throat> Seriously, sure enough now, and uh, now that we've had all these conversations, you, uh, you pray that God give us direction. I tell you, I have a, I have a big burden on my heart uh, to help these young preachers uh, in whatever capacity that is. If that's pulling them together and having Bible studies and putting them in headlocks and giving them nuggies, I don't know what it is. But, uh, um, you know, I'm glad that I had somebody and a, and a group of people that poured into me, and I want to do the same for them. It's vital uh, for our 
for our generation that's coming behind us, my children, your children, your grandchildren. Uh, it's, it's vital that we get into and crawl into the Word of God and we have leaders that we're raising up, leaders that we're raising up that will pastor churches, uh, pastor our grandkids and our great-grandkids that are founded uh, in the Word of God. So <clears throat> there's a, uh, man, I tell you what, there, there's, a, there's a lot of work to be done everywhere, right? So it's no time to quit, sit down. Uh, or pull off by the wayside. But <clears throat> anyway, uh, I want to pick up right here in, uh, in the 12th verse of the 8th chapter of the book of John. I believe the uh, week before last we talked about the first 12 verses, which was the woman taken in adultery. I don't know whoever your next pastor is. Maybe you can, uh, maybe you can talk them into finishing the book of John. Maybe. maybe. I don't know. They probably won't. They, I probably wouldn't either. But anyway. <laughs> I am going to do it on podcast. Yeah, and uh, who knows when I'll do it? I may do it on Saturday night at two o'clock in the morning, and I'll post it whenever. You know how I am. Sometimes that's just the way it happens, but uh, it'll be there. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, that that's definitely not going to stop. <clears throat> so we're going to keep on keep on going with that. But uh, <clears throat> let's see. Yeah, first 11 verses is what we talked about. So this was the woman uh, that was taken uh, in the act of adultery, and we talked about that. And, and this was an important part that we talked about. Remember that uh, these first 11 verses, and, and this is where we need to be careful, right? Because there's a lot of people, that, especially a lot of people, would jump on us and say, well, uh, this proves that there's error in the Scripture. There is no error in the Scripture. This is, this is how the Scripture was compiled, right? Uh, and everybody will attest to the fact that this is a canonical uh, account, so that means that it belongs in the canon of Scripture in the New Testament. The first eleven verses, they just believed that it was accidentally penned in the wrong place. It should have been in the Book of Luke. Okay, and the reason we say all that, the reason that I even tell you that, uh, is because when you're studying through the Scripture, verse by verse, when you get to verse number twelve, things don't make sense if you don't really understand where you come from out of verse number eleven. So. Uh, the Bible says, picks this up in verse 12 and it says, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Right? So, and this is coming right off the heels of verse 11, where he is kneeling down right in the dirt. He talks, and he stands up and he talks to the woman. He says, Where are those thine accusers? She said, I have done. Uh, and he says, Neither do I condemn thee no more. Go and sin no more. Right? Then we pick back up in verse number 12. Where do we actually pick back up in verse number 12? We Actually, verse number 12 picks up off the heels of chapter 7, verse 53, when he was talking to the Pharisees in the tabernacle. Okay? So when we see verse number 12 picks up, that's why, that's why, we, I, that's why I wanted, and there's a lot of people say, well, I don't like that, and I ain't going to believe that. And that. Okay, that's fine. You don't have to, right? I'm just telling you that uh, it, it's... Uh, <clears throat> that it's very much accepted. And that's why uh, when you're working through this, that it seems like that there's a break in thought, right? And because there is a break in thought is because these first 11 verses in chapter number 8 don't necessarily belong here. They belong in the Bible. They just don't belong right here, <laughs> okay? All right, and then we get to verse number 12, and, and the Bible is, we see immediately where Jesus is now addressing and talking to the Pharisees again, right? So where does this come from? This goes back to John chapter number 7. 
Okay? And in John chapter number 7, this is where we talked about specifically from verse number 37 down to number 53, uh, where Jesus uh, is standing in the midst of the tabernacle yet once again. He said, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. And if you don't remember what we were talking about, he's, often, he's immediately referring uh, to the Feast of the Tabernacles. Okay? And then, so the Bible picks up in verse number 12. And I know, I know this is a lot because we were, we're talking about three or four weeks of span of time and we talked about 11 verses in the middle of this that didn't really belong. So we pick back up with verse number 12. Jesus is talking to the same group of people. There is no time elapsed or time passed, right? So we have to go from the end of chapter 7, kind of block out of our mind the first 11 verses and pick up with verse number 12. And we need to understand that this is the same event in the same time frame, in the same people. Okay? So then Jesus picks it back up and says, uh, I am the light of the world. Okay, now where do you remember this from? If we go back to the book of Genesis, where we immediately pick up on is where the Bible talks about that God was the creator of the light. Amen? God spoke into the darkness and said, let there be light. Okay? Uh, so the Bible tells us right here, uh, when Jesus makes... Uh, and there's a Greek phrase or a Greek word, ego imai, okay? That word means I am. And this is what Jesus, these are the declarations of John where he makes all the I am statements. I am the bread. I am the water. I am salt. I am light. I am breath, okay? Uh, this is, uh, there's, there's more than we can really count in the book of John. But these are all the I am statements of Christ. And all the I am statements of Christ are intended and, and purposeful. So Jesus tells us right here, he says, I am the light of the world. And, and listen, I, I believe that these are wonderful and they're profound statements. But listen, we can't even really begin to grasp or understand how staggering of a comment that this was that was made in the presence of the religious Pharisees of this day and time. We've got to understand now uh, because a lot of times we don't have this in, in our culture and in our generation. This is why, uh, this is why, and I'm not saying that you have to, uh, but I believe it, it makes the New Testament come to, to even more life when we really go back and we try and understand that Jewish understanding. Okay, so you got to understand that Jesus is saying this, and who's he saying this in the midst of? He's saying this in the midst of the Pharisees. Who are the Pharisees? Okay, uh, so they are the religious zealots of this day and time. They are the authoritative dictators of, of essentially what is right and wrong. They are the orators of the old covenant. They read it. They read it to the people. Now, if you understand this, just uh, if you if you take a snapshot. Of the, of the Catholic Church today, the Catholic Church is very much instituted a lot like the Pharisees were, even though the Pharisees were magnitudes greater in enforcement and power. Okay? Uh, if you see through the middle centuries of, of the formation of the world uh, in the new continents, you'll know that where uh, Catholicism basically came in, they're the ones that killed all the witches. They're the ones that started and fought all the wars. Uh, there, there's, there's a lot of history that's associated with the church and, and, and because the church doesn't know our history it is the reason that a lot of times I'll never forget when I went out uh, to Montana to the Blackfoot Indian Reservation I went out there with Garrett English we went on a mission trip uh, probably one of the most pivotal and transitional points in times in my life because 
And I, and I encourage and I think everybody everywhere in every church that's been saved by the grace of God should go on a mission trip, okay? And there's a lot of people say, well, uh, preacher, I, I prayed about it and I just don't believe that God has called me to do that. Well, bless your soul, okay? Uh, if you're saved, God has called you to do that, amen? That is the great commission to go out, okay? And, and listen, this was what was very enlightening to me is I didn't have to get on. Uh, I didn't have to fly to another country. I merely went across the United States of America to Montana. I stepped off a plane, stepped onto the Blackfoot Indian Reservation, and I was presented with opposition. And they didn't want to hear the scripture. They called it the white man's gospel. Okay, and, and it was the, re the reason I'm saying all this is because they called it the white man's gospel because the Indian reservations. They, they still have a history of persecution that came from the Catholic Church. They lost the, everything that they had was stolen. Okay? <laughs> their lands, their crops, their properties, they were driven out in mass droves and they were executed and killed and left for dead. And there's a lot of people who say, well, I don't believe that. Go read the history books. Okay? We, we studied about the Trail of Tears when we were coming through school. Okay, that trail of tears is real. We have these reservations that are established all over this nation. But the, the Indians inhabited this place, and we just came in and said, No, we appreciate what you've done, appreciate you taking care of the land, we're going to take it from here. Okay, uh, and because of that, if you've ever really dealt with the Cherokee Indians or the Blackfoot Indians or all these other different tribes that are still local indigenous uh, to the United States of America, they're, they're, they have a strict opposition against the gospel. And the reason for that is, is because it was through the Catholic Church and through a lot of this mentality and through a lot of this ideology that they were killed. They lost their, their generation. They lost everything that they had in the name of the church. And that's why we need to be careful not to, to over-exercise our authority just because we are the church. But nevertheless, we come to a place and point in time. Uh, the whole reason I was driving to this is because when I stepped foot off uh, and I experienced this, okay, I, I'm in the United States of America. I'm presented with opposition because they tell me it's a white man's gospel on one place, and then I go to another place in the same reservation, and they've literally never heard about Jesus. It's astounding. There are people in this country I'm not talking about in China and India, okay? I'm not talking about in Africa, in the jungles. I'm talking about in the United States of America. There are people that have never heard the name Jesus. It's astounding, right? And if we look around here, uh, and we look around here in the south, and uh, within a general, I don't know, you could probably draw a 150, 200 mile radius around uh, uh, Gainesville, Georgia, uh, and, 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 and we're permeated in that area. You don't have to go far to find a church, right? In this general area, I, I remember when I was pastoring in the High Tower Association down in Forsyth County, there's 58 churches uh, in that one association, and that's just in Forsyth and Dawson County, okay? Uh, and that's not even all of them. That's just the ones that were the members uh, of that association. Uh, and so, but when we think about that, and we just think about the dense volume 
of churches and preachers. Uh, listen, you don't have to go far from here. I remember when uh, when Larry was pastoring up in Hiawassee a lot, I would go up in there and help him in revivals often. And, and, and it's, it's, it's just it's mind-blowing. When you get into Hiawassee, there are no preachers. And, and you think, well, that's just over the mountain. That's crazy. Uh, well, if you go over to the churches in Hiawassee, every one of them, have an apartment built underneath the church for the pastor. You know why? It's because there are no preachers in Hiawassee. Okay? Everybody that pastors up there has to come in from somewhere. They pull them down from North Carolina, pull them up from uh, who knows where. Uh, but friends, listen, it, it's crazy. But we get, so, we get so static in where we are and what is around us and what we know and we think everywhere is like that. Okay? Okay? Uh, and it's not, okay? Uh, you know, mission from the mountains uh, uh, from Lumpkin County. They're making all these trips up to Kentucky. Had this great revival just a, uh, just a, a handful of weeks ago up there. Uh, had, uh, I think it was 13 people that were saved and committed their lives to Jesus. I, I'm telling you, 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 go, you go 200 miles north into Kentucky, there are people in this country that have never heard the name of Jesus. It's astounding. Uh, friends, listen, and we sit here and we say, uh, uh, well, Lord, why don't you bless us? And he's, that's why when the Bible says the fields are wide under the harvest, but the laborers are few. And I'm going to tell you something. We sit in a densely populated area. I've talked through the book of Romans here uh, in Romans chapter 1 where the Bible tells us that they are without excuse. Okay? Amen. I believe that. That nobody has an excuse. I get that. I, and I totally believe that. But I wonder, within the perimeter, uh, we'll call a five-mile perimeter of Timber Ridge Baptist Church, I wonder how many people there are that have never heard of Jesus. You say, well, preacher, there's not people around me that, that, that that's, that's even possible. I don't know about that. I really don't know about that. Why, because, and why am I talking about all this? <laughs> I'm talking about all this. Number one it is to show the relationship of the Pharisees and who they were and what they'd done and the authority that they exercised. Because this is, where, this is where I see the church pushing and headed to is the religious overlords of everything, right? Because that's what the Pharisees established themselves in. And Jesus came in and he busted the doors down. He said, look, you think that you are light. I am the light of the world. Okay? You, you think that you uh, are the only one that can uh, open and exercise and read the scripture to the people. He said, I'm the word of God. So when we pretend to over-exercise our authority and who we are in the church is when there needs to be some people that have come in and not afraid to kick ankles and knees. Amen. Uh, listen, for us to realize and understand our place and our position and what we're here to do. We're here. We are called to serve. We are called. Uh, listen, Timber Ridge, you, Timber Ridge, you don't have to worry about. Should Listen, I want to say this. If God leads you, uh, I believe you should. I believe you should go to Tennessee, or Kentucky, or Montana. I believe if God leads you to go to uh, Russia or India or China and experience and see these things or Africa, wherever it is, I believe you should go. 
Okay, I believe that it'll change you to your core. I believe that you'll never be the same again. I, I know that uh, when my wife and I, when we were out on that, in that mission trip uh, in Montana, I'll never forget this as long as I live. I remember, <clears throat> I, I, maybe I've told this story here before, I'm not sure if I have or not, but I, uh, after I went out there, I never used the term wild Indian loosely ever again. Okay? Uh, the, the old adage that we used to say, wild, uh, he's wild as an Indian. Okay, I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> I met one, a real one, okay? <clears throat> and, uh, <laughs> well, I got so many good stories about that, I'll tell you. Yeah. Just but uh, they was out there, and there was about a 12, 13-year-old boy. And uh, we were trying to do a sports camp during the day, and we were having a revival during the night. We kind of run the Bible school during the day and a, and a revival at night. <laughs> and he was going around, he was trying to mess up absolutely everything that we had going on. He was tearing up everything, cussing everybody out, uh, stealing everything. It was, uh, because listen to me, the way the federal government has established uh, the American Indians in the United States of America is, is they get a check per kid, okay? So they, they have lots of kids. There are wild Indians running everywhere. Literally, because they're paychecks for mother and daddy. But they have no mother and daddy. Nobody raises them. They get paid to have them, but they don't raise them. They told us when we went there, they say, be out of the reservation. In your car, be out and off of the reservation at least 30 minutes before dark. Because any car that you meet after dark, you need to consider them intoxicated. 100%. Be off the reservation. <clears throat> Alcoholism, drug addiction, rampant. It's everywhere. Okay? That's all that permeates, that permeates through this. And there was this one boy, he was trying to tear down everything. And I'll never forget this. As long as I live, he was sitting between me. Gary English was preaching that night. And Moose, and I talk about it all the time. Me and Moose were sitting on each side of this boy just to try and contain him. I mean, this was, I'm talking about, this was a handful and I'll never forget, Gary was preaching about Peter and John out of the book of Acts. Uh, and he said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give I thee in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll never forget as long as I live, that boy with tears running down both sides of his cheek. Kip, he looked at me dead in the eyes and said, you mean to tell me that man will save me? And that boy got saved right there. And then I turned around and I saw my wife, uh, listen, with an 87-year-old Indian, respected uh, among the Indian community. Him and his wife were saved. See, my wife changed forever. First time, 80-something years old, first time he'd ever heard the gospel. It's amazing. But listen, what we need to understand is we don't have to go 3,000 miles and we don't have to talk about the deep, dark jungles that are in Africa because that's all we want to talk about in Bible study, right? We want to talk about, well, how can all the people in the deep, dark jungles of Africa, how can they ever hear the gospel? How can they ever hear the gospel in the United States of America, the richest, most prosperous country where the gospel has prevailed for uh, over uh, 250 years? How is it possible? 
that there are people five miles from Timber Ridge that don't know Jesus? That's the question we need to be asking. And friends, listen, when we begin to understand this and wrap our heads around who we are, where we are, what our authority is, what our calling is, we are here to be a place of service. And I'm getting to this, I'm talking, all this surrounds around the Pharisees. Because they didn't want anybody invading their territory, invading their space, taking their power, or taking their authority. And Jesus was ripping it up from the root, and they could not stand it. And friends, listen, what we need to understand is we need to have a mind like Christ. He said, I came not to destroy the world, but to save. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's the mission-mindedness of the church. Amen? Uh, Listen, all these things that are broken, they're not like us. They don't look like us. They weren't raised like us. They don't understand and do the things like us. They still need Jesus. They need Jesus, okay? And we need to provide it to them the best way that we possibly can. Whatever that is, friends. We need to get the gospel out. I'll tell you this story and I'll move on with this. <laughs> I was pastoring high tower uh, in Nalonica when I went to uh, the Indian Reservation up there. <laughs> and the very first thing we did when we got off the airplane, we went and met at the church and we had prayer. We went out door knocking. Okay, we were inviting everybody. I, listen, I, I was... I was in my young 20s and I hadn't been preaching too long. I was excited, amen, uh, to say the least. I'm kind of an excited guy anyway, okay? Uh, but uh, I was really excited, okay? And I was going around and we were knocking on doors uh, and inviting people to come. And I, <laughs> I'll never forget, there was an old Indian that was sitting down there uh, at his house. And now when you talk about Indian, I'm talking about this is... This is John Wayne Indian, okay? Had no shirt on, long black hair, uh, all the way down to his hind end. Uh, and he's walking around and, and he talks just like an Indian should talk. And I go up to him and I, I invite him and he looks at me and he smiles and he says, you sound like Forrest Gump. <laughs> <laughs> My first Sunday back uh, from the reservation, Mandy had told everybody what happened. My first Sunday back, I walked to the pulpit and there's a box of chocolates. (laughs) Good memories, good memories. But but, uh, we need to make sure that we reach everybody that we possibly can. And this is what Jesus is doing. And I know I spent a lot of time uh, just reminiscing there, but sometimes it's good to reminisce. But uh, the Pharisees, uh, listen, they're, they're trying to exercise their authority, their dominion, their power. Jesus came. He's standing in the, mid, the middle uh, of their temple and their domain. He's trying to bust, or he is busting everything up. It says, This way Jesus again to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but, have, but uh, shall have the light of life. So this, this right here is a, an immediate drawback. Uh, to Genesis chapter 1, verse number 3, uh, where the Bible says in the beginning, uh, or uh, in the beginning God, amen, uh, and when God spoke into the darkness and He created light, okay? Uh, and then we see this is also a call back to where uh, we have where John made the reference in, uh, uh, in John 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the same thing in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him there's nothing made that is made. 
In him is life. And the life is the light of men. And the light shined into the darkness. And the darkness comprehended it not. Okay? Uh, so uh, when we get to Genesis 1, that is a callback. Uh, to John 1, we see the tie right here. This is where Jesus was in the beginning. Now we have Jesus making an I am statement. And this I am statement is he is the declaration that he is light. Okay? And, and when, we, when we perceive this and when we understand this from a Jewish perspective, second temple Jew standing in the midst hearing this in the presence of Christ, their immediate thought, now listen, they're already mad. They're already mad because they're trying to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And Jesus said, uh, listen, you're doing all this ceremonial offerings and washings. And he said, I'm the water of life. Okay. And then they get over here and they're standing in the midst of the, uh, the tabernacle and the temple. And what do they do? They have the seven branch lampstand, which is called the menorah. Right. It lights, it lights the temple and the tabernacle. They're over here lighting all this stuff. Jesus said, not only am I the water, but I'm the light. Right? So, and this is all, this is all pulling off from Moses. Right? This is all coming out of Moses. All right? What were, okay, I understand that the Pharisees, that they were well educated and, and, uh, and they were well read in the prophets, but they memorized. You don't you, you understand Historically speaking, a Pharisee memorized, had to memorize, memorize. Did you hear what I said? Memorize the first five books of the Bible. The, the Pentateuch was committed to memory. Okay? So when Jesus is making all these Genesis creation statements, and then he goes and pulls off of Moses, it's not like that. this is something that they've never heard before. This is permeated in their mind. They have studied this every single day. Okay? This is why Nicodemus is so drawn, and that's why he's an important character in the Gospel of John, is because Nicodemus is of the highest priestly office that is associated with the Pharisees. He's studied and he's well learned in the scriptures, and he knows, he knows that there is something about Jesus. Okay? And there's a constant pursuit through the entire Gospel of John where Nicodemus is pursuing Christ. In some way, form, or fashion, he is pursuing Christ. He's wanting to understand. How are you? He said, listen, if you remember the conversation he had with him in John chapter number 3. This is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He goes up to Nicodemus and Jesus. They have the conversation. He said, I know that you are a prophet of God. I know you are. And that's when Jesus really begins to open his mind. He said, Thou being a teacher and a, pro and a, a teacher of Israel, knowest not these things. Okay? What was he doing? He was, he was doing what we need to do in the church house today is we need, to, we need to question. I'm not saying that we need to question everything. But we need to come to the text and we need to say, Lord, I'm not bringing what I think about the text into this. I'm reading the text and I want you to speak out of the text and change me. So often, we want to speak into the text and say, Lord, this is what I think you need to say and this is what I think you mean. Okay? That's where the error of our ways. You get yourself in, in so much trouble when you go to the Word of God and you, say, and you, and you look into it and you say, I think that he meant this. 
right? Boy, I tell you, we get in, we get in, a, we get in a world of trouble when you just need to let the Word speak in context, okay? If, I, if you've heard me teach anything as I've taught through the Word of God is you've got to have context when we read the Word of God. We've got to know who it's written to, who he's writing about, what's the history and the time frame that he's writing in, what does the verse before it and after it say, right? There's been whole denominations started off one verse. And listen, uh, they could have... They could, they could dissolve the articles if they just read the next one. Okay? So there's things that can be taken out of context. We know that for a fact. Okay? And we understand this. So we have to understand who's it written to? When was it written? What's the perspective? Uh, what, what was going on from a historical perspective? And we say that a lot of things, we say, well, preacher, we don't know these things. I'm going to tell you something. Uh, as much as we beat down the internet, I'm going to tell you something, and, and I'm glad, and I'm glad I'm a, that I'm a recipient of this, is because if you want a degree, you can get anything that you want online for free. <laughs> if you're willing to put the time in, the information's there. Okay? And so, I'm going to tell you something. I'm just going to be honest with you. This is a statement that a lot of people probably frustrates a lot of folks. They say, well, I don't understand when this was written. A quick Google search and 20 minutes of reading. You can, you can sound like you're a whole lot smarter than you are. Okay? That's what, that's what I think about myself. Okay? There's a lot of people think, well, 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 you're pretty smart. No, I'm not smart. I just read a couple of things. Right? I did. But you've got to put the time to invest into that. And you've got to question that. Right? Now this is what a lot of people do. And this is, this is my explanation a lot of times of, of a lot of people in churches. Uh, is, you know, there comes a time when we must mature. Okay? I, I think a lot of times if, and uh, I'm not sure that I ever preached it here, but I preach a message on the eagle and the stirring up of the eagle. Uh, and I'm not sure if you're familiar uh, with, with how that works, but uh, a, a mother will construct her nest very specifically, an eagle will. So she'll take and she will first stitch together branches, and the very next thing that she lies on top of the branches are thorns. The thorns are intentionally pointing into the nest. Okay, on top of the thorns, she'll go and she'll pull in cotton and fur and animal skins. On top of the fur and the skins, she'll bring in hay. So as the, as the eggs are uh, in the nest and they hatch off, of course the baby birds are blind. And you'll hear the piercing cry of the mother and the birds know the presence of the mother and because of that, they will like any other bird, okay? And, and listen, this is, if you, you say, well, preacher, I don't know what my place is in the church. I'm going to tell you something. If you've been saved by the grace of God, God has given you and talented you with the gift and the wisdom to read, this, read and study the Word of God, and you have a good grasp and knowledge of the Word of God, I'm going to tell you something. Every one of our goals and focus and missions should be to educate those coming behind us. 
Okay? What does the mother do for the baby birds when they're blind? She goes out, she hunts the food down. Listen, I know this is kind of disgusting, but she actually eats the food, regurgitates the food, because now it's processed where the baby can actually eat it, right? And she'll come back to the nest. The baby bird's blind. What do they do? They throw their heads back, mouth wide open, right? This is where the church gets in trouble, is we have young converts. And I believe that the Baptist church as a whole, uh, especially in our local area, I believe that, that we are the absolute best, the best at evangelizing. I believe that, that we, uh, uh, we run revivals the best. I believe that we evangelize the best. I believe that we try and preach the message of the gospel the best. You know where we fail? After we evangelize them and after we get them saved, we don't disciple them, okay? And there's a lot of people say, well, we don't use that word in our churches. Jesus did, so I am, okay? It's time that, he said, that, listen, he said to go out, he didn't say to make converts, he said go make disciples. What is a disciple? Somebody that's not preaching the gospel to them, them telling me they're saved, and I give them a Bible and say, I'll see you in heaven. The mission and the goal of the church is once they're saved, we need to take them in because at that moment in time, they are new babes in Christ. What are they? They're birds with their eyes. They're blind. They're spiritually immature. They've not been educated. They don't know. They don't know. And they're, listen, a lot of times... We, we've cast this perception. <laughs> this, this draws people up in knots. So but I love to talk about it because it's real. The, people have this perception, well, uh, after I get saved uh, and after you get saved, that everything, everything is gone, right? That, uh, uh, listen, and, and, <laughs> and I, I like it when I start talking about this because people start paying attention. Now, do I believe that old things have passed away and behold, all things have been made new? Yes, I, I do believe that. I believe that it's scripturally accurate. But I'm going to tell you something. Uh, a person uh, that has been addicted to alcohol, that has been addicted to drugs, a person with uh, a, a language, amen, uh, that, that their mouth is so... You ever been around somebody who, uh, listen, they cussed every breath, right? And, and, it's, and it's literally the way they talk. They don't even mean anything by it anymore. That's just how they talk. Okay? I'm going to tell you something. After people like that get saved, their mouth is not instantaneously clean. Okay? That, uh, listen, you say, well, uh, God took the bottle and God took the needle away from me. I believe that, absolutely. But I also believe that there are, there are addictions there are still things that draw you away. These are the temptations that follow us. And this is where us as a church that we need to address these things and be real about these things. Amen. Instead of judging them and saying, well, if you said you're saved, you wouldn't do that. Well, the same goes for you. Amen. If you said you're saved, you wouldn't sin either. Amen. I see you in heaven. Right? So, friends, listen, we've got to come to a realization that this is a process. Why does the Bible talk about sanctification? Because this is what the process of sanctification is. It is progression in holiness. 
That's what sanctification is. That's growing in grace and knowledge and in holiness. How do we do this? We read the Word of God. We study. We pray. We encourage one another. And then gradually, as a little baby eagle, our eyes begin to open. Right? Our eyes begin to open, and all of a sudden now we can handle a little bit stronger food. Maybe we can handle something with a little substance to it. Maybe we can eat a worm now. Okay? Uh, and then there comes a point, uh, listen, when we start popping our wings open just a little bit. Right? Start trying to feel these things out and understand where we are. And when this whole process begins to take place, you know what this mother is doing? She is constantly, while the baby bird is growing, while his eyes are opening, while he is growing in strength because he's eating more food, uh, while he's extending and stretching his wings, the mother is constantly pulling one thing at a time out of the nest. Out of the nest. Out of the nest. Why is she pulling things out of the nest? Because ultimately she wants to pull the last piece of fur back because the baby birds are cushioned all the way up here in the corner because everywhere else there's nothing but thorns. So now the mama's pulled the last piece out and she'll crawl on the side of the nest and she'll beat the baby bird off to the side. If he don't jump, she pushes him off. Now this is the best part. Now a lot of people in the church, they push them off and they either sink or swing. The eagle, if, and there's videos on this. I, I, you should need to watch one. It's pretty amazing. They'll push them off and she'll let that baby bird fly and here she'll come. Swoop down and catch it on her back. Bring them back up to the nest. Push them off again. She'll fly below. She'll fly below. And if, wing, and if wind catches the baby's wings, she just veers off to the side and flies beside the baby. Okay? This is discipling. This is what Jesus wanted us to do. This is the epistles and the message of Paul to Timothy is discipling. Preach the word. That's why he told Timothy, he said, Timothy, it's cost me everything that I have, but, uh, but brother, it is worth it. It's worth the cost that I've paid. And when I'm gone, don't stop. Go back. Don't go back to, Lo uh, to Lois and Eunice, your mother and grandmother. Preach the word. Listen, if it costs you what it costs me, it's worth the price. And that's what we need to be educating and, and teaching people in the church house is that, that, that there's a cost of, but listen, it's worth the price. And discipleship is something that we need to, uh, and how do we do that? We teach the Word of God. I, listen, I love, I love being in service. I love preaching. I, I love those things. But I'm telling you, times like right now, when we're going verse by verse, Word through word, word, word by word through the Word of God is absolutely essential. It's essential. It's something that we must do. This is our daily bread. Okay? And it's something that we have to, uh, and you've heard me use this expression a lot of times, if, uh, if we have Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night preaching, uh, listen, after a while, if you only eat three times a week, you're going to lose a bunch of weight. You ain't going to feel good. Right? Uh, you go to the doctor and the first thing he asks you, are you eating? You say, well, I eat three times a week. Well, that's your whole problem. You're starving to death. Right? So, friends, listen, we've got to make sure that we're fed. 
We got to make sure that we know our place. Now, listen, I'm going to work. I got eight minutes. I promise I'm going to keep it to eight minutes. I'm going to shut up. It says the Pharisees, in verse number 13, the Pharisees, I got one verse done in an hour. <laughs> uh, the Pharisees therefore said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself, thy record is not true. Wow, right? So now the Pharisees, they come back on Jesus. Now remember, this is why this is important. And I want you to go back and reread this tonight. We pick up in verse number 12 and 13. You've got to remember that you've got to take away these 11 verses. And you need to go back and read the last portion of chapter number 7 again to understand what all has been said to, to get to where we are. Because it's a very important. The Pharisees therefore said unto him, Thou bearest record of thyself, but thy record is not true. Jesus answered and said unto them, uh, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. For I know whence I came and whither I go. But ye cannot tell me whence I come and whither I go. So Jesus is basically, in essence, telling him, say, look, I am bearing record of myself. I attest to who I am. All these I am statements that I've made, he said, I came and I do these things. I say these things. And he said, I do nothing but what the will of the Father is. So he cares, and he's bearing record of himself. He said, yet my record is true. So he said, uh, basically what he's saying is, is my word is truth. Okay? Uh, for I know whence I came. I know where I came from. And I know whither I go. I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. He's talking about I descended down into the earth. I came from heaven, and I know where I'm going back to. Uh, but ye cannot... Uh, tell me whence I come and whither I go. So he's looking at them and he's telling me, he's, look, I know I came down from heaven and I know that I shall give my life and I will send back up, but you don't have a clue where I come from because you don't even believe what I say because you are saying that my record is false and it is true. You remember if we go back, uh, one of the four weeks that we spent on John chapter 6, uh, when uh, Jesus makes the comment to them, he said, if you believe my father... You would believe me. Right? What was he talking about? He, when, he, when Jesus makes that kind of statement, comment, when you believe, when you, if you were to believe my Father, who was he talking about? He was talking about God the Father. Right? Now what's the association with God the Father? The association with God the Father is, is that's who Moses met with on the mountain. Right? Moses. What are the first five books of the Bible? The Pentateuch. They committed it to memory. He said, you believe my father because he spoke it to Moses, but you won't believe me. <laughs> you judge after the flesh, I judge no man. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am the father that sent me. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true. Right? So he said, if I, if I execute judgment, it will be done in absolute truth and perfection. And we have to believe that, right? Uh, and, and I say that like it's a mandate, but uh, it's not a mandate. But if, it, if we believe in the attributes of Christ, we believe that He executes righteous judgment, right? Righteous judgment. That He is a God of grace, a God of mercy, but righteous judgment will be handed out, executed, when, when people reject the only hope of heaven that there is, in Jesus Christ. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone. Uh, but I am the Father that has sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two men 
is true. This is, of course, this is reference from the book of Moses. Yet yeah, once again, this comes out of Deuteronomy. You can go back and make that uh, tie. Uh, and also in Matthew chapter number 18. And Cody alluded to this last week. And, I, and when he said this, it triggered a... And, my, and I remember that we were going to be covering this tonight and everything kind of come together. And we use this a lot. And I'm not, I'm not cracking the whip and reprimanded, right? But when the Bible talks about in Matthew chapter number 18 and also here in verse number 17, okay, when it's talking about, a lot of people use the term uh, when we've only got, you know, when we only got a handful of people here, we'll say, well, where are two or three gathered in, in my name, I'll be in the midst, Right? That's how we use that. We say, well, uh, as long as there's a couple of us here, God will be here. Right? Well, let's hit the brakes real quick. Can you be with the Lord alone? I can. Okay? So I don't have to have two or three with me to be for God to be in the presence. Right? Now, I understand why we're saying what we're saying. But if you go read Matthew chapter number 18... What that is talking about, that is talking about, uh, that's talking about church discipline, right? He said, if you have a brother that offends you, go to him, right? If he hear you not, what did he say? He said, go grab somebody and go back and talk to them again. For where there are two or three established, I will be in the midst, right? So this is the offender, the offendee, and the witness. That's what Matthew 18 is talking about, right? This is what this is also talking about right here. This is a contest. This is where an accusation is being cast. And that's why Jesus makes the comment in Matthew chapter number 18 specifically. He said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'll be in the midst. What is he in the midst of? Exactly what he says right here in John chapter 8. What is he doing? Executing righteous judgment. Right? It's not an excuse for us not to invite anybody so we can quote Matthew 18 and say, well, there's two or three of us here, so God's here. No, God's always here, even if I'm by myself. Right? But what the Bible is specifically talking about now, and, and, you, and that's why we have this in conference, right? We open the doors for uh, reconciliation or acknowledgement. This is what this is all about at its, at its utter core, Right? If we exercise true church discipline, right? So, uh, and the Bible says that if two go to him and he receive thee not, then you bring charges against him in the church and you turn them out, right? And the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter number 5 that we do this not in righteous judgment, or excuse me, we don't, we, we don't do this uh, out of spite. We do this in hopes that we can drive them to repentance. So a lot of times we want to do it in a pharisaical way, we want to say that well, we're executing judgment because we know that we're right. No, in our utter essence, when we do these things, we should do them with the intention to bring them back. Right? But we've got to, and it's an old statement that Miss Anna Ruth used to say all the time. I remember when she said this. <clears throat> um, she said, we've gone so far now, we can't go back. Really? And, and it's really sad it's really sad. I mean, that's a sad comment, right? We're, we're, we've gone so far in the church that we can't even uphold the Bible. We've gone so far that we, we can't go back. But that's where we are. How do we fix it? We start working our way back to the Word of God. We start discipling. We start reaching people for Christ. 
We start, listen, if you've heard me say anything in the three years I've been here, I want you to get in the Word of God. In the Word of God. Amen. I don't want you to listen to what I tell you. I love teaching. I love preaching. I love the Word of God. I love these things. Uh, and I'm glad that I can offer help. And I'm glad that people want to listen. But I'm not the ultimate authority. You need to read it, study it, pull it out for yourself. Okay, I'm going to say this and I'll be done. I am the one that bear witness of myself and the Father that sent me bear, with it, bear witness of me. <clears throat> then saith uh, they unto him, Where is thy father? Jesus answered, You neither know me nor my father. If ye had known me, ye should have known my father also. This was the exact quote that he made to him in chapter number 6. If you believe my father, you believe me. Basically what he's telling them is, you're adherents of the law, and you don't even believe what the law says, because if you believe what the law says, that was the word of my father, and if you believe my father, you believe me. Right? We love you. We appreciate you. Uh, thankful for the opportunity to be here with you tonight. Anybody got anything else?